Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes, a 40-year Wall Street veteran that's had to take on a secret identity and go underground in order to provide a couple of good ideas here on the show each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices, and they'll never know. This week, it's August 20th, 2020. It's episode number uh, roughly 310, something like that. And we've got three medium ideas this week that came right off Dogs of the Dow. And then a little bit of uh, walking through national economic trends toward the end of the show. Uh, also, uh, we'll tell you, Mo is not here this week. He's qualified for a national bike racing team, and he's off uh, at 10,000 feet in improving his capillaries. So, um, you know, let's wish him uh, luck in his upcoming race. And we'll get to all that, but first a couple of important disclosures. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, Mo and I are professional money managers and analysts during the week. We do a lot of careful research. We do 10-year forecasts. We talk to management teams. We've been careful to do absolutely none of that here. Third, we do not have your interests in mind. We only have our own greedy interests in mind. And fourth, and I'll just speak for myself because as I mentioned, Mo is training. I've been heavily drinking. See all our caveats, disclosures, pictures our moms took at www.thevalueguys.com. How about it? That's the intro. There you go. Okay, here we are. Let's get going here. Everybody's busy. Um, normally, we'd be doing a little Wall Street news here, but Mo is, uh, I have to tell you, he qualified for uh, a national rank in uh, in bike racing for his uh, age, which, you know, isn't the fastest age, but still pretty good. And he's right now training somewhere at 10,000 feet. Um, not in Iowa, pretty sure, but maybe uh, Colorado. And so he'll be back in a few weeks. Meantime, you get Val. What's Val want to do? I want a snappy show. I want to run a tight ship. So let's start off just talking about what's going on in the stock market, just to prove it's a stock market show. What the heck? Um, you know, the market continues to sort of be in recovery mode. Um I think at this point, most of the big indices are even, so the fastest decline in history has been followed by the fastest ascension in history, and uh, we're kind of flattish for the year for the for the big index. As I said a few weeks ago, um, the value has been very depressed relative to the growth. Not exactly understanding that, other than when you do the attribution, a lot of small cap value and uh, large cap, but to a lesser degree, is banks and insurance companies and things where book value matters since Russell is doing this break on book value. And so, you know, in this world with near zero or negative interest rates, it's not good for financial companies generally. And so they've tended to underperform, which has harmed, of course, uh, the value uh, indices. And then, you know, the, the industry's gaining share. Uh, communication, internet, streaming, all that, that's over in the growth category. So that helps the growth. It's sort of COVID has been a growth stock helper in the sense that uh, medical 
and technology internet have been the uh, business winners. Um, but let's talk about some of these year-over-year numbers. I think you're going to be a little surprised how good this is. First, let me look at find the worst one. This is from Bloomberg, just American indices. The worst one on here, oh good, it's proving me uh, correct, is the banks. NASDAQ Bank Index down 22.6%. Um, this is a one-year number one year down 22 percent the next worst one so if you own these i feel a little bad oh <laughs> the kbw bank index down 18.5 so if you've owned banks that's been a bad situation so those are the two absolute worst so my thesis on value probably was holding up the next worst one um is REITs, BBG US REITs, which is a little surprising um, because in down rate markets, REITs should do pretty well. I own a couple of REITs and they've done well. Uh, now, they're not office REITs, so my guess is BBG US REITs is a little tilted toward office REITs, which of course have done terribly. I own some medical office REITs and some uh, government uh, office REITs, which have done well. Uh, the other one that's been bad, of course, here, thank goodness, is, uh, based on my comments earlier, the NASDAQ Insurance Index, down 10.6% for one year. That's a one-year number. So that's terrible. But um, after that, things aren't so bad. Uh, so those were all financials. The next worst one, oh, look at this, the NASDAQ Financial Index, down 4.9%. Okay, so a lot of financials as predicted. The next worst one, Dow Jones Utilities. Um, that one, I don't quite know, other than, uh, you know, the shutdown probably reduces the need for certainly uh, heat and air conditioning and such in all the offices. And then... Um, you know, to the extent that uh, electricity and things like that are involved in um, in commuting, uh, certainly gasoline's down. I don't know if that's in the utility, uh, Dow Jones utility, but that's down 3.5. And then that's it. Everything else has been positive. Well, no, small cap, S&P 600 small cap index down 2.9, which... Of course, in that index is a bunch of financials, so uh, what have you. Um, and then let's talk about some of the winners. Again, stock market show, stock market numbers. Doesn't get any better than that. Um, all right, well, what's the best one? That's what I want to go see here. Um, well, okay, NASDAQ 100 stock index, the top 100 of NASDAQ, which... I don't know what's in there offhand. It's probably a bunch of tech, and it's up 48% one year. Um, oh, wait a minute. I missed a better one. The NASDAQ Computer Index up 56.99% one year number. Um, NASDAQ Biotech up 257 um, And then, you know, a mishmash of stuff. Uh, so those are some of the big ones, and um, there you have it. That's the Value Guys stock market report for um, August uh, 20th, 2020. 
So, um, okay, let's see. What else do we have? Well, we have three ideas, three medium stock ideas. And this week, um, with the spirit of doing as little work as possible, and of course, Mo's not here. He's not even kicking in uh, because he's off on this training thing, which, good for him. He's nationally ranked. Um, and so uh, um, I think that, uh, you know, hopefully he's going to, he may call in, or we, we may have some other callers. Who knows? We'll see what happens as the show evolves here. Um, if it's recorded, I'll just, I'll weave it in somehow. But right now, let's get to the three stock ideas of the week. I'm going to give them quick. Pretty sleepy. I drove a lot of miles today on the highway. Um, and uh, and so I'm, I'm getting a little bit sleepy. But here's the screen this week. I didn't even do a screen. I didn't even want to do a screen. You know what? I was reading some news, and I heard that the dogs of the Dow have not been doing that well this year. They're all down, which makes sense if they're dogs. Um, the dogs of the Dow, for those of you that may not know, is a long-time sort of annual uh, list of stocks people buy, contrarians mostly, um, and they're the dogs of the Dow, which I think nowadays are defined as the highest earnings yield, which, of course, as you've heard me talk about, is the lowest P.E., E over P is an earnings yield. P over E is a PE. So those are some of the basics of stock market valuation. I prefer an E over P, a yield. The reason is, is you can compare it to bonds. Otherwise, a PE, what are you looking at? You know, uh, a basketball score, what do you compare a PE to? You know, there's nothing in that zone. Uh, Celsius temperatures, you know, I don't know. 25, what are we looking at? Speed limits in residential areas? The thing I like about an earnings yield is you can compare it to a bond yield. And as I've said on uh, recently, the 10-year bond right now is so low, 0.5. I didn't even look today, which is you do the inverse. That's, a, that's earnings. They call it a coupon, but it's the earnings. And E over P in that sense is 0.5, and they tell you that. That's how they sell it, as a yield. If they sold it as a PE, it would be 200. And so, as you can see, the stock market, even though everyone is telling you how high it is, you have to look at it as compared to relative to earnings, uh, yields relative to interest rates. And, uh, and that difference, you know, the equity return versus the fixed income return, depending on which fixed income you're looking at. If it's the government, somewhere in there is a, you know, the, the equity risk premium. If you're looking at a corporate bond, I actually think that's the equity risk premium, whereas the difference between um, equity and the T-bill, let's say, or T-bond would be more of a, uh, of a public security equity risk uh, premium. So there's a little nuance there between the corporate 10-year and the Treasury 10-year, and somewhere in there you can ferret out just the risk of companies. Right now, with what's going on, I almost wonder if the corporate bond yields might not be a little less risky than the uh, U.S. government uh, yield, given all the money printing that's going on over there um, at Pennsylvania Avenue or whatever street they're all on. Um, So in any case, dogs of the Dow, it's the highest earnings yields of the Dow, 
And I think in a lot of years, this Dogs of the Dow actually outperforms. And that's why people, you know, pay any attention to it. Um, so uh, what I have here, let me tell you what the Dogs of the Dow are. There's not that many of them. There's uh, like eight of them. Well, how many? One, two, three, four, I'm sorry, 10. It's a little blurry on the screen. And I'm using Y charts here again today. It's a wonderful service, not too expensive. So here's the 10 that come through. Cisco Systems, Chevron, Dow, which is nice, dogs of the Dow. It's a different Dow. IBM, Coca-Cola, 3M, Pfizer, Verizon Communications, Walgreens Boots Alliance, and Exxon Mobil. So there you have it. And um, again, in the spirit of doing as little work as possible, I just threw these into a, you know, basically a, a comp table. And one of the things all of these things have in common is a lot of debt. So they're debt heavy. And the quickest way to see that is assets to shareholder equity. So you got a guy like IBM, which you'd say, oh, that might be nice to own, IBM. 7.5. I can't even tell you what happened. That used to be a good company. I don't think it's a misprint here. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to go dig into it. That would take a long time. I'm on the road here, so I'm really just trying to do as little as possible. But that's too high. I don't want to do that. So I just pass. What else do we have here? Um, then you got... Uh, Dow, you might want to own that. That's a chemical company. Um, feedstock prices are down, and um, you know demand for plastics and stuff goes up. That maybe there's a spread story here. You know, I don't know. There was a big merger. There was a uh, acquisition, a merger, a divestiture. Dow is a different company than it was a few years ago. Still, some of the key elements in there of chemicals and I think seeds and things like that but I don't honestly I haven't looked into it but 4.7 is their assets to equity that's too high too high for me um, I like three I like three four at the most um, what else do we have in here so then you have uh, Verizon okay they're probably gaining share you know that's the old New York telephone they renamed it or 9x also if you go back that far Verizon 4.7. I don't like that. I don't like that. It's cheap on EBITDA eight times. That's a 12%, you know, cash on cash return in my view. But I don't like the I don't like the leverage. Okay. Walgreens gets on here, and that's because they borrowed a lot of money to buy boots over in uh, in England, and uh, and so I like the category, but four times. I mean, and that's probably a lot of leases, and who knows if we're going to need real estate anymore. So I don't, uh, you know, I don't know about that one. And then the last one that made this uh, list, which I, I read on the, a, a great free resource called Seeking Alpha. If you just go in there, type Dogs of the Dow, there were some people complaining about how the Dogs of the Dow haven't done well. And I'm like, read the name, Dogs. I mean, you know. Um, not a shocker. And it's not the end of the year, and they don't outperform every year. So at the moment, this would be a year they're not outperforming. 
But the reason I took a look at it is I think there's some gems. There's three gems. I haven't even chosen them yet, so I know I advertised three names. I haven't even picked them. They're on this list. They're among the ones we've talked about. So, okay. Uh, then we're back. Then we're looking at um, Coca-Cola. Okay, that looks pretty good. Their gross margin is 58%. You know what that says? Monopoly. Nothing tastes like that. That's a monopoly. Pfizer, 80% gross margins. Of course, we know they have a monopoly on specific drugs. But Coca-Cola at that margin, also drugs, which is the Coca-Cola, which used to have Coke in it, by the way. Not coconut, Coke in it when it came out. I don't know if people knew that. Um, And then, let's see. Uh, the thing about Coca-Cola is it's five times assets to equity. Now, that's largely a royalty business, I know, on the syrup and all that. But, again, why do I want that? I don't. Um, all right. Let's keep looking through here. Um, Chevron. Okay. Um, 1.7 times. I like that. You know, BP just said they're going to stop you know, exploring in new countries. When I first read it, I think Mo read it a few weeks ago, BP says, he said, BP said they're going to stop exploring for oil and gas. I'm like, wow. But when you go and look at it, it's they're going to stop looking in new countries. So very likely they're in all the countries they want to be in, I assume. But it was quite a statement as to the likelihood that the cost of extraction is higher than the value of the oil by the time you get out to that point. So they're clearly um, seeing some good days ahead for um, electric vehicles or EVs. Um, but in any case, Chevron, so that's what's in the market. Chevron, oil, gasoline going away. It's 1.7 times assets to equity, so I like that leverage very much, and so I keep looking. Um, gross margin, 7%. Ugh. Pfizer's 80, which I prefer. Okay, that's not great. EV to enter, so enterprise value to EBITDA, 8.7. Let's say that's 9, so that's 11% cash on cash return for Chevron. That's not terrible. I'd hold that in mind. Um, and then, let's see. The other one here that I think is very interesting from a leverage point of view that is um, not an oil company. Is, because Exxon shows up very well also. It's a 7.8 multiple of EBITDA, which, again, to flip that around, it's 13% cash-on-cash cash return. So, okay, we've talked about these names. I really feel I ought to uh, choose one now uh, rather than just keep everyone here. So let me eliminate the big, uh, the heavily levered ones, and I'm going to go into first... Pfizer, PFE, it's very nicely um, capitalized. Their balance sheet is in good shape. It's 11 times enterprise value to EBITDA, which is a bit more than I like to pay. But um, what's made up is they have 80% gross margins, which says monopoly. We already know that. And they have one of the best distribution systems in healthcare, which means that all the great little companies, biotech, you know, whoever it is, they're going to have to maybe consider that Pfizer is one of their potential acquirers, you know, something like that. 
Um, I think some of the metrics historically, I'll just review on Pfizer, you know, their, uh, their revenues are down, should mention that, um, $54 billion in, uh, in 2019, right now running $49 billion. All that can mean is some patent has come off. I could click around and figure it out, but I don't know. It's a patent. It's off. It happens. Um, that's okay. What have you. Um, their return on assets has been, again, one of the key numbers, pretty stable, 8.5% right now. It's popped up a few times. Once in a while, it gets to 13, 14, 16. Every so often, I'm going to guess that's related to new drug introductions where they don't have any competition or price competition. And um, and so they get a little bit of a pop in there. Um, it also could be times they write down assets a lot, so their assets go up. I don't think that's the case, though, but looking here for some other numbers. Um, you know, return on capital, very similar to return on assets, except that... Um, you know, you net out cash and you and you add in fixed income. It's a slightly different calculation. Here, it's uh, it, it's it's very strong. It's um, it's 12 percent, and again, it pops up every so often, just like return on assets does. But it's been very rock solid around 12 percent. That's why, even though the revenues are down, I'm going to guess that's a drug that was already very competitively priced because as those revenues are popping down a little bit. Um, we're not seeing uh, the ROI come down at all. Profit margins here in terms of pre-tax, again, very stable, 29%, which is, you know, pretty strong for any business. Um, they pop up into the higher numbers every so often. Again, I'm going to assume that's related to uh, new drug introductions. Their debt to capital, 49%, higher than I would like, but their margin is so high that their coverage um, on any you know fees they would have uh, around fixed charges or interest, you know I don't have the the number right here, but I'm sure it's very strong, very strong. Um, and capex here been pretty stable over many years. You know one of the rubs on the drug industries they they've been slower to invent stuff. The FDA has been slower to approve stuff. So in part, um, the strong distribution that they have has been more valuable to others when they acquire them and roll them in than it has been to their own scientists who really, um, you know, haven't been inventing too much um, lately. Although, again, I think they're in the running for the uh, 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 vaccine for the COVID virus, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, in terms of valuation, Pfizer's a little cheaper than usual. It's 15 times earnings right now, and the average looks like it's a bit higher than that over time, not a ton higher. Um, enterprise value to EBITDA, 11. As I mentioned that earlier, that's a 9% cash-on-cash return, the way I might look at it. The industry is at 14, so this is a bit of a discount, and it, again, could be related to them losing a patent and the market getting a little worried about that, but... Um, you know, this is the kind of company that you can wake up tomorrow and they just bought something uh, with a lot of patents in it already. And so um, I'm not too alarmed by that. Uh, so let's see what else I can tell you here. Um, again, doing as little as possible. Um, 
you hear me talk about the Altman score as a predictor of bankruptcy. It's not as high as you'd want here, but 2.5, it's definitely in the right area. EBITDA margin is noteworthy here, 48%. Holy cow. When you see margins that high, it just means that the customer has no choice but to pay that exorbitant price. Why? Because there's nowhere else to go. So in a drug company, again, it makes sense. They file patents and stuff. Um, but other companies that have high um, returns, high margins, high gross margins, you know, it's not always obvious. It often is, but it's not always obvious what the secret sauce is that allows them to uh, beat their competitors. But you can be sure it's something when you see such a high gross margin. When you have an 80% gross margin, basically what that means is you your price of something is 100 your cost of goods is 20 and so then your gross profit is 80 and what's then you you know you use that to pay your your sales your marketing your operations and all that so it's basically what's left after the cost of the thing you made and what's so interesting about an 80% gross margin is that it means that they mark up the cost of the product fivefold from 20 to 100 um, to achieve that, and that is always pointing to something extremely proprietary. And of course, we know that with Pfizer, they have patented drugs. But other companies, again, one of the uh, nice things you know to, to try to figure out is when you see a high gross margin, like what's where is it coming from? Why are they getting it? And if it's not obvious, then that's actually better because if you figure it out or learn about it, it's quite possible that others uh, have chosen, you know, maybe not to do that. So in any case, uh, that's Pfizer, ticker PFE. The stock closed today, April, I'm sorry, August 20th at uh, 3880. So, okay, um, next up, I don't think I've chosen it, but I think you can tell by my tone that I'm honing in on something. So if you know what that is, just text me. Um, but I think what I'm going to hone in on here, it's a little bit against my better judgment, but Verizon. Verizon. V-Z. Why? Well, it's clearly in the ascension in terms of its importance in the... Uh, in, you know, in, in the business community and, and, and every community. I mean, obviously, without the Internet, uh, we wouldn't be able to shelter in place. And if we can't shelter in place, then uh, we can't uh, battle the COVID, evidently. But what I think is going to happen is that now that everyone understands that they can work from home and their boss no longer is saying, hey, where were you on Friday? It's, I was working from home. The expectations that you're in the office are what's changing. And so as a result, um, Verizon and you know other companies, and, and this is a trend that's been going on a long time, so it's not like we're inventing elements here um, or discovering what have you. The fact is, is that a lot of the trends that have been going on have been accelerated by this uh, lockdown. And it makes sense. I mean, a lot of things that take generations to 
um, adapt to uh, have have taken you know six months and I think um, the internet clearly a lot of old people with money who never you know used a bank app never used a you know a real estate app they've all just learned how much easier it is to shop and 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 work even uh, using the internet so I think as a result of all that again this isn't rocket science Verizon has a long stable path ahead of them um, and um, and as a result, I'm attracted to it. The valuation in terms of enterprise value to EBITDA is just 8, which is a 12% cash-on-cash return. I'm almost suspicious it's so low. Um, but, of course, do your own homework on all of these. But let's see here what else we have. Verizon, um, you know, Mo always likes to talk about the recommendations. This does have a majority of people recommending it um, the uh, the gross margin here is 61 percent but of course remember it's a service industry but it's largely an incremental zero cost uh, service industry which is very powerful that last dollar in revenues that you get 80 or 90 percent of it might fall down to the EBITDA line now these guys do pay a yield so that's an attractive element of it four percent but let me talk about some of the metrics here um, you know, my again, you hear me talk about it, the Altman Z-score. It's a very simple ratio that predicts bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is uh, likely below 1. Now, here, this guy, Verizon, 1.6. <coughs> so, are we out of the woods? No, not necessarily, but they own so much equipment, and they can raise rates when they're not making money. Um, and so I think that their bankruptcy risk is really low. As soon as they start to get close to it, the regulators give them a, a, a rate hike. So I don't think that's an issue. They're generating a fair amount of free cash flow. Um, you know, they do have a, a lot of debt, but they've got, uh, you know, $7 billion in cash, $60 billion in equity, 112 in long debt, so they're a little debt heavy, but they've got such a stable revenue stream of this internet. Click, click, click. If you turn off the internet, you're out of business. So as a result, these guys are not going to have a lot of bad debts. If you're not paying them, they turn off your internet, and then guess what? The next moment you're paying them. I think you know how that works. So it's a very stable, I think, cash flow stream, and, um, and the valuation isn't too high. In terms of growth going forward, these kinds of guys were always really population growth, um, but with the growth in Internet traffic um, and television and all the other things that are now going through the Internet uh, bandwidth, i got to think that they have a kind of a 2x GDP type of uh, potential. And I'm making that up. I don't know that. But in terms of how much of GDP is Internet service going to get when, um, you know, transportation is nearly 20% of GDP. That includes trains, planes, buses, all stuff we're not even doing. So if people were willing to spend that much of, uh, you know, their, their pie um, previously, I have a feeling that while we may save a little money there, that um, what you used to spend on the train ultimately might uh, go to Mr. Internet, which is Verizon. So 
Uh, on that basis, I think it's a very, you know, entrenched trend. The metrics here um, are, you know, pretty decent. It's trading at eight times EBITDA, which it sort of always does. So it seems cheap, but not necessarily. Um, same with enterprise value to EBIT. It's kind of in a zone that it likes to live in. Um, they do generate free cash flow, so that's a positive. And what I would say to people about these um, these valuation metrics when they don't change. So you just heard me say, oh, it's eight and not that great. It, it's, it's always eight. So what I'm saying is I might not get expansion in the multiple, <coughs> but if I pay eight times and I look at the inverse, that's 12% cash on cash. So I'm really earning that. It's going into the balance sheet. It's going into the cash account. I mean, the company's not writing me a check personally, but to the extent that I have a stake in the company, if there's a buyout, I get my fair share. Um, eventually, the company will move to a level where other analysts recognize the fair share. So, um, you know, when you don't anticipate valuation expansion, it doesn't mean that you are not compounding good annualized returns until you sell it. It's just not realized until you sell it in the stock. And I will say, uh, to the extent they are accumulating cash, the market does have to reflect that um, in their view of the multiple. So Verizon, um, again, you know, as little work as possible, but looks cheap. The balance sheet isn't terrible. Uh, sustainable trends that are helping them get along. And dogs of the Dow. So, you know, um, this dogs of the Dow thing works pretty regularly. And it's very common sense. I think to the extent that stuff that isn't working right now, people naturally don't want. At some point in the future, they will be working and the stocks will be up. So this one, Verizon, may fall into that camp. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, okay, so that's three. And I just have... Uh, one left to do, and I'm not sure which one. A lot of good ones, a lot of high-quality names here. Um, and so, um, originally, I was going to say Exxon, XOM, 7.8 times EBITDA, um, two times assets to shareholder equity. That's certainly not too risky. You know, um, they've got a dividend yield of 8%. So you can't go too wrong with that. Uh, the valuation is good. The fundamentals are good. Balance sheet's good. Um, you know, of course, the problem is oil. But do we all really think we're not going to be using oil? Like, I don't, I think of all the cars sold last year, only 3 or 4% were electrics. And if that's all that we're getting, then, you know, not sure Chevron and Exxon are going away. So I don't want to get into this too deeply because this is not my pick, Exxon Mobil. But um, I think the notion that we don't need oil and gas is a little bit off the rose. And um, I would be taking a look at this one. But again, didn't pick it. So instead, because I'm not sure of the trends. You know, I said I think we're going to be okay, but I don't know. Who knows? So... Instead, what I'm going to choose is something that 
Uh, I th think will be a pretty good name. 3M. M-M-M. Now, it is a dog of the Dow, so it's down. Um, obviously, they've been hit by manufacturing. I think they sell a lot of stuff into hospitality in terms of foods prep and things like that. Um, and so that could be affecting them. The assets to shareholder equity, not that great. Four times, you just heard me saying I don't like that, so guess what? I don't like it. Enterprise value to EBITDA, 12 times the inverse, 8% cash on cash. So why am I choosing 3M? Well, because they invent stuff. They surprise you. They come up with stuff. They have scientists. They have a very rigor rigorous capital allocation program where money only goes to the best um, ideas, or at least there's a, a very nice process to, to try to to try to ensure that, obviously, it doesn't always happen. So at some level, 3M, I have a lot of institutional confidence in them that they're going to be able to go and, um, and, and do some stuff that is uh, not fully appreciated right now in terms of potential upside surprises just from the lab. I mean, I think they invented a lot of stuff like uh, post-it notes, I think they invented the cassette tape or CDs or something. I don't know. And they just churn out really high-quality industrial goods. At one time, they talked about their product list as being, you know, flat stuff, which, again, they were trying to find some common theme. So they have tape and they had CDs flat. Hmm. So how about round? Oh, wait, tape isn't round, or is it? So... I'm not sure that's the way to do it, but um, they had such a breadth of product across all different interest industries, and of course that's a strength. Um, Altman's score here, bankruptcy risk, nil, 4.3 times interest earned, 15.9, so that's pretty darn good. Um, year to date, we know it's down because that's how it made this sort of emergency list here. Um, but uh, I think generally I'm, I'm very comfortable with the, uh, uh, the, the long-term ability of this company to invent their way to a better future. In terms of the metrics, return on assets, it's down and it's 12%. That tells you something. Revenues here are softish right now. They're flat, but they're not going down. This company's in pretty good shape. Return on capital, 17%. That's below the 20 that they were earning prior and for nearly a decade prior to that. Um, their debt to EBITDA, 2.2, very comfortable. And so debt to capital is high, but because EBITDA margins are high, um, the debt to EBITDA doesn't come out quite so bad. Uh, now, margins here have been under some pressure, so 19.9, that's still a great operating margin, but it was in the 20s a few years ago, 21, 22. You know, I don't know what that's about, um, obviously, but 3M, you know, could be price, could be warding off Chinese competitors, could be oil prices going up. Um, a lot of what they do does touch commodities, and they've got to be, you know, careful about that, but I think 
the vast majority of what they do is proprietary and sold at an institutional level. So, um, but uh, it has been under a little pressure just recently. They have a fair amount of cash, uh, 1.9 billion. If you like that kind of thing, their net change in capex is very stable. They just spent 380 million this last quarter, and I think you know it's stable because that's where they get a lot of their future growth from. Um, and so, let's see, what else can I tell you here? In terms of the valuation, it's expensive, but um, it's cheaper than the industry. So 18 times the, you know, uh, earnings yield on that would be just a little over um, 5%, right? Because near 20, 1 over 25. So a little little better than that. The average is 298 so they're at 18.5, pretty good. Um, the uh, enterprise value to EBIT ratio here is 12. The industry's at 18. And when I look back through history, um, you know, this company in the last six, seven years, it doesn't usually get much cheaper than this. And on a couple of occasions, it gets up toward 15, 16 times EBITDA. So, um, you know, I certainly think that's possible for them if they uh, come up with some interesting stuff over the next uh, year or so. And then, uh, what else can I tell you on 3M? The earnings estimates, the analysts uh, seem to think that these guys are going to be doing okay. Um, estimates for the next couple years are, um, you know, we got 821 this year. 9.11 next year, which is uh, about 10%, and then 9.98 for 2022. There's uh, there's 18 people making estimates for 2021, and there's only 10 for 2022. So again, when you go out into those out years, you get fewer competition for that scarce knowledge. So... Um, so there you have it. I don't know if that was a complete job, but 3M, I think, is a dog of the Dow that looks like it could have a decent period going forward, only because um, it's cheap, well-capitalized, and tends to be innovative. So um, so there you have it. Three names, 3M, Pfizer, Verizon, and a blue plate special that wasn't really a, an idea, ExxonMobil. So... Um, all right, well, let's see where we're at here. We're, uh, we're a little bit into the show, 40 minutes in. Mo's not even here. I'm, I'm, I'm probably boring everyone. But let's take a little break, and I'll be right back with walking through national economic trends. All right, everybody, we're back from that break. Um, and 
and I've been making it a little softer for long-time listeners. I hope you noticed that. Someone, I hurt their ears. I apologize. Um, so I've been doing that. Okay, so here we have a little bit of walking through national economic trends. And for new listeners, what the heck is that? Well, um, you know, the economy can be pretty important to the stock market. I feel like um, people don't pay enough attention to it. There's a wonderful resource called FRED, which stands for Federal Reserve Something Something uh, Economic Data. Yeah, Federal Reserve Economic Data. It's from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. It's online. It's free. It's fabulous. So I like to go through a little bit of this. Uh, I've been doing this my whole career. It's it's worth your time to do it. Um, but tonight I'm just going to do a couple things, and I'm taking it right off of the latest release tab that's in there. So don't let people tell you the value guys aren't providing breaking news. This is right off, Fred. It's the most recent economic news available in America, and we have it here completely free. Um, when you go to this tab, latest releases, there's a bunch of stuff in there that's not interesting. I'll just say not that interesting. So I picked two things. One, and you may not know this is out there, but if you ever wonder, hey, I wonder what inflation is. I wonder what it's going to be. What do people think? Well, there's a wonderful number, metric, what have you, at Fred called the 10-year break-even inflation rate and you might say well how can people know inflation well there's there's two bigger things out there you can buy one is the 10-year treasury constant maturity security which is designed to always represent a precisely 10-year maturity uh, bond and and then there's another one called the 10-year treasury inflation indexed constant maturity security and that's exactly like the other one except it has inflation in it so when you look at the spread between these two things you clearly have the market's estimate of inflation because they can be uh, arbitraged and uh, it's quite detailed so the most recent number drum roll please August 20th, I have it, Thursday, August 20th, that's today, 1.62%. And what that means is all the professional bond investors in the market have collectively determined through their investment in these various hedged and non-hedged securities that the best estimate of inflation going forward for 10 years is 1.62. Now, that's interesting. One, it is higher than than the 10-year bond, which is 0.5. So basically, this is telling you that the estimate is that your 10-year bond is a negative yield. Now, you've been hearing about negative yields. When you buy a bond that has a yield of 0.5, and there's 1.6% inflation, then over that period, um, you have lost 1.1% purchasing power 
per year, which over a 10-year period would be, what, 11% or something like that, negative. So that's a negative yield. These negative yields aren't actually they pay you, but they just mean at the end you don't have as much as you as you thought, and this would be an example of that. Now, the other thing about this number is it's just about the lowest in the last 15 years. Um, it did get to point almost zero. It doesn't hit zero. No one's ever predicted negative inflation, and they're not now. And so that's I think that's good. Um, it reduces, I think, the likelihood that we're going to see negative interest rates here. But who knows? We'll see. But in uh, 2008, this got down to 0.1. And then um, just here in March, it got down, the low was point, looks like about 0.5. So in some regard, I guess, the last crisis was, was scarier to everybody than this one, and, and we have talked about that. So that's the 10-year break-even inflation rate. It's a good thing to know about. You know, I mean, never know when, when that might come up, 10-year inflation rate. Now, at the low this time, um, it didn't get quite as low at la as last time, but it's popped up fast. So at this 1.6 that I mentioned we're at, it did get lower than that in 2016, down to 1.4. If you remember, that's a time when everybody was predicting recession. Oil prices had just collapsed and industrial production stopped because of that, but it looked scarier. And, uh, and so there was a recession prediction then, but it didn't come true. And now um, we're back to what looks like a very healthy rate, even though um, the 10-year bond T-bond is, is basically offering a, a negative yield. And I think in some way that's good for stocks. If the bonds are offering negative yields, then why do that? Stocks can raise prices. Companies can raise prices, et cetera. Um, okay, well, I'm doing uh, as little as possible. The other, I do have another number here, I think, somewhere. Where'd it go? Um, the inflation... Um, well, there is a weird statistic that came out that predicts, um, you know, whether you're in a recession. It's either zero or one, and I would say that uh, right now, not surprising, it's at one. So that's pretty cool. Um, let's see. The other one I would say uh, that's kind of interesting is a, a series that, you know, I don't even know exactly how they come up with it. It's called the Economic Policy Uncertainty Index for the United States. And uh, it says it's, it's based on newspapers. So what that means, you know, I don't know. They could be mining for certain words that, that, that you know, let you see people are, are, are uncertain. You know, it could be just that. They look for the word uncertain. You know, I don't know. But whatever it is, it's been going back uh, for a few years here. They have, um, how many years of data do they have here? I mean, this goes back to 1986. And it's an index, so it goes between about three or 400. The spikes are like in 99. It was, at, um, you know, three, what's that number right there? 380. 
in uh, 2001, it got to 330. In 2009, it got to, holy cow, 620. And here we are, COVID 2020, the peak on this one. So in March, it got to 516. Pretty scary. Then, then, you know, April 440 down. May, 557, pretty serious. And then down from there, the last reading on this, August 2020, is 224. And that compares to, in 2008, it got to 626 in September of 08. And uh, the peak this time, which was after a second wave, was 557. So we're holding up pretty good on that, too. So, um, So there you have it, everybody. That's the entire show. Three medium ideas, I think. Uh, Verizon, Pfizer, and uh, what else did we do here? 3M. And then some economics. You know, it's worth looking at Fred to see a ton more than that, and it's very educational. So, um, So that's the end of our show. Thanks again for listening in. Mo sends his regards. I'm sure he'll... He'll be back soon enough. So that's the end of our show, everybody. Thanks for listening in. Hope you found something worthwhile in there. And if not, what have you. It's just a show. So see all our disclosures, caveats, pictures our moms took. And there's 310 shows in there you can find. We're also on iTunes, Spotify, and a lot of other places. So thanks again, everybody. And we'll look forward to seeing you next week.